Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and just a special welcome to the callers and chatters to the show today. Well, I'm going to have to put the music back on for a few minutes so that I could get Antoinette Harrell back on. For some reason, she is muted, and I'm having trouble unmuting her, so just Bear with me for a few seconds as I try to bring her back on. Hi, Bernie. Okay. Well, I am very happy to have as my special guest today, Antoinette Harrell. Antoinette is a renowned genealogist, author, and blogger whose genealogical research has been featured on Nightline News, People Magazine, and many other national and international public media. She is the host and producer of Nurturing Our Roots Television and Nurturing Our Roots Blog Talk Radio, and was appointed Honorary Attorney General in the state of Louisiana in 2003 for her studies in genealogy. She is one of the recipients of the Association for the Study of African American Life and History Award in 2013 for her outstanding services as a humanitarian activist and filmmaker, and has been featured in the Chronicle on Civil Rights and Civil Rights History from the Ground Up Local Struggles, a National Movement. Now, today's show is going to focus on using civil rights records 
to find the story in your community. So let me give a warm welcome to my colleague and friend, a person that I admire so dearly, Antoinette Harrell. Welcome, Antoinette. Hi. Good evening, Bernice, and thank you for that very warm welcome. And as always, it's a pleasure being on your show. Oh, and, and Antoinette, thank you so much. It's a pleasure always to have you on this show. So because we're talking about civil rights, using civil rights records to find the story in your family, in your community, please share with us when and why did you begin to explore the Department of Justice civil rights record? Well, Bernice, I, um, as always, you know, you start off looking at your own family history, and that's what I did. And going through so many different files and so many different records and different places and traveling to the county in Mississippi where my family came as a, came in as slaves in 1803, uh, it took me to the Pennish Files. And then the Pennish Files took me to the Civil Rights Division to look at some of those records that was kept in the federal, uh, the FBI reports and NWACP files in the 60s, in the 50s and the 60s. And the Pennish documents led me to those records because I was looking in the FBI files. And if, when you're looking at records, and you see someone's name, a date, events, and a story behind it, well, that's genealogy because that's it right. involves someone's name. It involves an event, a place, and mm -hmm. a period in time. That's right. That's right. Well, one of the things, Antoinette, you said to me a long time ago, you said, you know, we have to stop doing safe genealogy. Why don't you tell people what that means? Well, you know, many of us that have researched our family history, we we know about the marriage records, the land records, um, uh, the records from the from ancestry, the census. But there's many other records outside of those records, and sometimes it's not always safe, Bernie, simply because some of the horrible uh, atrocities that took place in our history uh, detail some things that many of us may not feel that we want to deal with it. Well, I'm sort of the person that want to get into it. You know, I, I, I really want to dive into those records. I want to know what happened, and especially we're talking about lynching. And when we talk yeah. about lynching, are you still with me? Yes, I am. Uh-huh. And when we, when we talk about lynchings, we look into another type of record. And so when I went to the National Archives and I started looking at uh, the uh, civil rights records because some of the people that was trying to vote uh, wanted to become a registered vote, like Herbert Lee, our case that we'll be discussing tonight, well, there was people that was witnesses, and their names was written in, in, in those files, uh, where they lived, uh, what statements they made. And so as we prepare ourselves to receive the 1950 census when they do come out, well, we're going to be looking at a different type of record. So we have to look at more, uh, okay, what kind of records should I be looking at? Why is these records important, especially when it comes down to the federal uh, records and rights in the National Archives where you uh, – definitely specializes in that research, you would look, if you look into those civil rights, civil rights division, you will find so many complaints. People who was trying to escape through sharecropping, uh, mm -hmm. people that involved in trying to register to vote, 
people who was murdered because their land was taken away from them. All types of cases and points and cold cases, too, because some of those cold cases come from the Civil Rights Division. Yes, yes. And, you know, even I, I was just looking at some, some different documents, and they just they call them the cold cases because these cases have never been solved. Exactly, however, and that's what you find. Yeah, however, as you said, the documentation is there. But why, you know, when I when I think about these records and I say, well, why don't we know about these records? Well, Bernice, as we turn stones over in genealogy that we haven't really discussed, because in most books that you find, no one has really published a book or any publication on how important the civil rights uh, records are because, you know, from that period from 1870 into 1940, you know, but no one talked about, well, what is the new coming of records that we should be looking at as it relates to the 50s? Well, when we talk about the 50s, we're talking about Jim Crow. We're still talking about people that lived on plantations and uh, in many, it, I, I think it was 16 states and 27 counties in Mississippi, I found people still on plantations. And so if there was an FBI agent that came out to file a report because uh, someone had said that somebody was held as slaves, well, if the federal government got involved with that, that became a case, that became something that went into the federal investigation files. Mm -hmm. And and when you talk about, we're talking about Jim Crow, it's, it's something that maybe, you know, the younger people probably don't even understand what this is all about. I mean, give us some examples of some Jim Crow. And I know I, I can give some because I grew up in Louisiana. Of course, you know, getting on the bus, what did that mean back then? We couldn't sit in the front. That's right, and then you couldn't drink at the same water fountain. You had to sit uh, in the back upstairs in a theater. You couldn't, you know, that was just a, you know, you couldn't eat at a lunch counter, you know. So the, the Jim Crow was separated. I mean, it was, you know, and, and a lot of the people, our family members, I'm not going to say ancestors because a lot of the people who was involved in Jim Crow is still alive today. So just yeah. like the WPA, uh, went went around and they was interviewing the former slaves and grant and children of the former slaves. Well, we are losing some of the civil rights activists because most of them now are in their 80s, you know. And so we don't want to see the same thing that took place with Tulsa, Oklahoma, a rose where we see people we start interviewing them at 103 years old. So we still have a lot of young people, uh, uh, elderly people who was involved in civil rights where we can go directly to them and they would be able to give names that maybe some that wasn't recorded. And let me give you a case in point about that. Okay. Um, let's say, for instance, 118 children was arrested in Macomb, Mississippi. That was during the time that Marion Barry, uh, the mayor from uh, D.C., came down and led that march. They was mm -hmm. protesting because only thing they wanted to do was become registered voters. So when mm -hmm. people think about what happened in Selma, they don't really think about what happened in Macomb, Mississippi. I can bring it to Bugaloosa, Louisiana, where AZ Young walked. Uh, I think it was hundreds of people walked from Bugaloosa, Louisiana, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the state capital in, in 1967. So as we come up on those 50th anniversary earmarks, 
this is a lot of people that was arrested. I mean, some of them stayed in jail the entire summer. And so that's how the freedom schools was given life to in the deep south because those kids was kicked out of school, expelled, couldn't go back. And the only crime that they charged them with, wanting to register to vote. Mm-hmm. The only crime. The only crime that they can think of. There was no crime. They just yeah. wanted to stand up for their rights. And a lot of these young people was the age of 13, 14, 15 years old. Um, and they and those kids was determined to stand up for their rights. And that in itself, a lot of their names was given over to uh, the Civil Rights Division. And so if you're looking for your relative or a young person that somebody was in your family, you may find them in the Civil Rights Division uh, in those files because their name was recorded because they went to jail or they was beaten. And really what you're doing, though, you're kind of reconstructing, well, what was what was it like in that small community? Because so much was happening in those very small communities that perhaps we never heard of nationally, but they were making a difference right there in the community. And to be able to go to your community and to look in those files I mean, this is this is amazing genealogy work for everybody to think about. Yes, it is, and it involves the community. You know, it's not only just doing your own personal genealogy, but it's also doing community genealogy. And that's how I got involved with Amy County, Mississippi, because, you know, when you are researching your own family, you really want to know what went on around them during that period that you're researching. And, you know, and every 10 years there was changes that took place and you, and, and you research those, those decades, you know, what happened in the forties, what happened in the fifties. And uh, it was just recently about three weeks ago, I went to the funeral service of Herbert Lee's wife and Bernice Herbert Lee, um, Herbert Lee was from Amick County, Mississippi, and Herbert Lee was murdered simply because, one, he was a member of the uh, NWCP. Uh, he was uh, killed September 20, 25th, 1961, and he was killed by a elected official, E.H. Hearst. And he was killed simply because he just wanted to register to vote. He wanted to become a registered voter. Bernice, it took 11 years for them to register the first person in that, in Amick County to be. Bernice? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought I had lost you. Uh It took 11 years, 11 years. For someone to become a registered voter, a registered voter. Now, as we move up on and embark upon the 50th anniversary of Selma, for anyone that have watched the movie, or if you haven't watched the movie Selma, the person that Doc, that Ralph Albanacki is speaking about in jail to Dr. King was Herbert Lee. And oh, Evans, and people would know. Okay. Yes, in jail when Dr. King's spirit was very low and it was at that time that Ralph Abernathy was saying, well, who are we to worry about these things and God will take care of us? And he Mm -hmm. said, well, what about the man Herbert Lee? 
who was killed in Mississippi. Well, that's the case that I'm working on right now. Oh, it's Herbert okay. Lee. It's Herbert Lee. And so you say you attended the funeral of Herbert Lee's wife recently. That's just recently, Prince Nelson Lee. She was honored in 1963, August of 28, 1963, on the March on Washington. She was honored with Mega Evers' uh, wife. I think it was uh, Diane Nash, uh, Rosa Parks. These was women, freedom fighters, women that was fighting for freedom. She was honored with those women. So at her service, it was a Southern Law Poverty Clinic, um, as well as SNCC, and and not to mention, I got an opportunity to meet Bob Moses. Bob Moses was one of those leaders that did not want to give, be given that title. He spoke at the funeral, and the doctor who took the bullet out of Herbert Lee's head attend Mrs. Uh, Lee's funeral. So you see all those names and all those people. And I know that Bob was born in 1935, so he's 80 years old now. And mm -hmm. so if we're going to interview these people and record our own story, we have to start recording those testimonials and those experiences from the people who fought in the civil rights movement. Because once again, we're about to embark upon the 1950 census, not very long from here. That's right. That's right. And, you know, one of the things that you uh, have alluded to is that it took 11 years for someone to become a registered voter in Amick County, Mississippi. Yet, how many people really understand the struggles that have gone on in these various communities, not to mention the documentation that's available on the people that led the, the, the work that tried to get the voter registration uh, uh, active mm -hmm. in the community. So tell us about the what documentation is available on Herbert Lee. Well, if you Google Herbert Lee's name, um, and I will put civil rights activists beside it, it will you will come up with so many different uh, websites and where they have used his case in point uh, in civil rights studies and rights in the National Archives in the Civil Rights Division. You will find uh, documents from Julian Bond. You will find the NAACP reports uh, calling for a federal investigation. Matter of fact, they was calling for federal protection. And whenever you call the Department of Justice, there it is. When you call the Department of Justice, the complaint was filed. Now, the, now that file is available to the Department of Justice uh, there in Washington, D.C. So those are the main records that I would look at because everybody else that have written their books, they have written their books, books and things upon different studies uh, from those Department of Justice records. Uh, interviews. I went to Liberty, Mississippi, looking for um, in the criminal division, there was absolutely nothing but one document that mentioned the witnesses that witnessed Herbert Lee being uh, assassinated. Also, there was another man that was killed around the same story named Lewis Allen. Mm -hmm. And Lewis Allen was threatened uh, by the politician 
and, and made to lie because he feared for his life. And one day he woke up, he said, you know what? I can't live with this. And so a documentary was just featured on the life of Lewis Allen, how he was killed. He was shot down uh, because he came to tell the truth as to what he saw with her belief. So certainly the Mississippi Department of Justice, I'm sorry, the Mississippi State Archives, the Department of Justice, um, there are several newspaper articles, uh, especially through the Civil Rights Division. Why? Because in 2000, I think it's 2017 or 2018, they're going to be first National Civil Rights Museum in Mississippi. So it's stories like Herbert Lee and all the other activists and, and uh, around the state of Mississippi, those records will be found in the museum there. So you see, the Civil Rights Division, now we have a Civil Rights Museum right there in Mississippi. And so when someone is conducting their genealogy research, as they move into the 50s, according to the census, they're going to find their family members, especially if they was activists and fighting for uh, the right to vote with SNCC or with the NAACP. They will find those records at the, at the, um, the National uh, Civil Rights Museum that will be opening its doors in 2017, I think it is, or 2018. Mm -hmm. Now, do you know if, yes, if, if, do you know of similar uh, resources opening up in other parts of the South? Uh, no, I haven't. I know that they was talking about opening a National Civil Rights Museum in New Orleans, uh, mm -hmm. but I haven't heard them say very much about it here lately. I know that it was proposed by one of the state representatives there in New Orleans. Uh, and so as we move into the civil rights era, uh, which is also a good era because it's a time that you will find a lot of written documents, you will find photographs. Uh, of, of some of those, uh, uh, there's so many photographs that has not yet been revealed, but is available through yeah. the national yeah. through national archives. You know, because if someone isn't really looking for a story on that person, they may not find that story. Mm -hmm. You see, and I want to point out something too. The day that her her belief was murdered, was assassinated, they was holding trial while his body was still lying on the ground. Mm. So, so, so um, when we look at the national civil rights records and, and look at the uh, the federal records, uh, the civil rights division records, it is it is very painful, Bernie's, and I'm gonna tell you why. Because when you think about your ancestors and when you think about the movie Selma and all they wanted to do was register to vote and how they shot Jimmy Lee Jackson down. And there were so many other people that was murdered just because the only thing they wanted to do was become a registered voter. That's all something mm -hmm. that many young people take for granted today. I don't think we will ever know just how many people was killed. Because I know when I talk with some of the NAACP um, presidents here locally, they say, well, you know, Herbert Lee wasn't the only one. And, and somebody gave me 10 names of 10 different people that was killed around mm -hmm. trying to register the vote. And when I started to research the Freedom School records, uh, I went over to the main library in Macomb, Mississippi, to look at the Freedom School records, and someone stole them. Because the Freedom School records would have listed all the students that went to the Freedom Schools because they could not, they was expelled from school. 
about these kind of things, that means that somebody is not talking or someone is not listening. Right. You wonder how many people pass the stories on or even talked about what happened in in the 60s or the 50s. Because, Antoinette, I went to see Selma. And as I was walking out of the show, I heard this young woman say, I didn't really believe this was true. And I had to go and look it up to find out that this was true. And in my own mind, I was saying, well, how could you not know that this didn't really happen? I said, well, I didn't know. Nobody told us in school. Well, that's which not means good, Bernie. Talk about it at home. No, it is uh-huh. not good because you're missing. You're missing a whole era here. You know, when we start doing our genealogy, yes, we go to the census. We look at the vital records, but we have to look at the whole history of what's mm-hmm. going on. We can't just uh, compartmentalize our history to colonial times or exactly. to the 30s up to 1870. As you said in the beginning, you have to look at what's happening decade by decade, you know, Mm -hmm. reconstruction, what happened, you know, we have to talk about it and talk about what's available in writing. It would just open up everyone's mind just to be able to see that their ancestors were involved in uh, in rights, you know, freedom, because we're That's talking right. about 150 years freedom. Uh, but we're That's going right. to take a quick break, Antoinette, and come right back and continue this discussion. This is a very important discussion for us to talk about today. Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. 
Now, you have been listening to Antoinette Harrell share with us the reasons why we should be using civil rights records to find the story in your community and your family. So, Antoinette, this is such an important issue for us. So, you know, tell people how to get started. I mean, where would you recommend they start just looking for their ancestors and even talking about the whole issue of civil rights? You know, I would certainly go to Google first of all and start there and just see if you type your family, just type the name in the civil rights and look in, in sometimes, Bernie's find these kind of records is off the beaten path, okay, and and that's the first thing. So if I, I would go to Google and I would just look at if I'm searching for a family member uh, in that period, in that time, and just type their name in and see if anything comes up with that. And the second thing I would do, I would go to the place where they once lived in that time period, since we're talking about the civil rights records. Look mm-hmm. at those records with Jim Crow. Look at the sharecropping records. Um, we we talked before about pinnage. Look in those pinnage files, because if you look in the pinnage files, sometimes the pinnage files are really connected to uh, the civil rights division as well, because somebody was trying to free someone else. And I would look in those FBI records. I mean, when you go to that record group 60 uh, at the National Archives, it's not an index, but sometimes you just really want to sit there and just look at what they have. Uh, especially if there's no index for those those records in the file. But I would do that. If anyone interview, interviewed anyone, anyone in the family that said that your family member uh, was an activist, uh, your family member was a member of the NAACP or a member of SNCC, I would certainly say look in those files. Mm-hmm. But you need to ask because uh, I do know in – in in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which is Forest County, there's still some civil rights uh, activists there. But when you mention, and and it's good to ask that question, since we're coming up to the 1950s we're talking about, ask the question, have you heard of anyone in the family? Uh, Was they connected to SNCC? Was they connected to CORE? Was they connected to the NAACP? And if so, maybe they'll say, oh, yeah, let me tell you, we had someone that uh, was in jail for 16 for 16 days, we couldn't find them. I know a young lady right now, well, a woman, I have to talk with her. She was incarcerated uh, for three weeks before her parents even knew where she was at. You see, because they held wow. them in jail. Some of those kids, some of those kids would skip school. You remember when uh, the teacher in the movie Selma, she said, look, she turned her back. She couldn't tell the students to go. So she turned her back. You remember that taking place? Mm-hmm. Well, she yeah. turned her back. Well, some of these some of these students was eager to go. They wanted to be on that front line, Bernice, because they knew what it was. They knew that they had to stand up for their rights. They had to do it. Just like our mm-hmm. kids right now, you talk about a concert of standing in line for a pair of tennis shoes, they're going to stand in line all night for a pair of tennis shoes. Well, those kids back in that time period, they wanted to vote. They wanted higher education, and they knew that they had to take that op- that chance to get to, uh, uh, to stand up for freedom. We had to look at the Freedom Riders. So when we talk about the 1950 research, we're talking about the Freedom Riders. We're talking about 
protests, we're talking about marches, we're talking about a whole different way of conducting genealogy research. Right, right. You know, uh, and and you're you're so right because we are talking about a whole new way of genealogical research. But you know what I'm thinking about right now? A lot of the historically black universities where you saw activism at the the best part. I mean, the students were out there. The students were organizing. They were marching. They were having uh, meetings on how to protect yourself. You know what you need to do. Look at the students who who went to the to the lunch counters and sat. I mean, they participated. They were engaged in activism uh, to make things better. That's what it was all about. But they also had files that on them. That's right. That was files on them, especially at the university, because some of the students got expelled. They couldn't return back to school, and a lot of the, you know, their parents and grandparents sort of talked them out of going, and, you know, it, it was a very hard time uh, for them. And, and it's just the way that it, and I'm glad that Selma kind of reminded us again how important it is to look at those records. Jimmy Lee, yeah. Jackson always stand out to me. And mm-hmm. Herbert Lee stands out to me because there are records on them in the National Archives, in the Civil Rights Division. Those just the names that we know. But there's so many people, could be one of your relatives, it could be one of my relatives, until we start looking at the Civil Rights Division and using it for genealogical information because those records are very, very rich in information. Very rich. And a lot of the, those uh, that information now is uh, is not is declassified, so you can go in there and you can look at those records now. And I would say look at the state archives. Go to the state archives and ask them what kind of records they have on the civil rights. I know the weakest state that I found was Louisiana, the state that a march took place from, mm-hmm. but from Washington County over passing over Livingston County, and I remember a friend of mine telling me how they had the uh, the National Guards with, uh, as A.Z. Young walked and everybody walked through uh, Livingston County. Now we need to know who were some of the core organizers when we think about the deacons of defense. So when mm-hmm. we start looking at the civil rights, you're going to find more, you're going to find a lot of information on your family members because it was federal documents. You'll find telegrams in those records. You'll find that uh, there was some FBI protection for some of the family members, you know, just different things that took place, especially when it came down to registering to vote. Now, uh, although you said you will find the telegrams, uh, will you also find some of the wiretaps? You may find that as well. You know, it, it depends on, that's right, the attorney general, uh, what was who took the report like anything else, just like the person who was taking a census, you know, it's no different than that. But what happens is a very, very rich collection. And sometimes you find photographs in those uh, in those collections as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's the different there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's there because. Because you're coming on up to the period now where they was using typewriters, you know. They was using typewriters in the in the, the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s. By the 40s and 50s, they were really into typewriters. 
So a lot of the information you're finding now, you know, versus finding handwritten documents on some of the earlier records, you, now you come up to where those, that, those, that information was typewritten. And so, you know, it gives a lot of detailed information. And let's say if we talked about Herbert Lee, well, in his records, we know that he was, Herbert Lee was a, a, a dairy farmer. We know he had nine children. We know that he lived in Amid County. We also know that he was a member of the NAACP now uh, since the early 50s. Now, if we ask someone, where's the NAACP file? It depends on the president. It depends on where they filed them at. From my understanding, a lot of them was destroyed. Uh, when SNCC uh, voting right activists started working in Amid and, and Pike County in the fall of 1961, it tells who's, uh, who was Lee's closest friend. The branch chairman was E.W. Steptoe. And so those are kind of, that kind of information is rich when you're talking about genealogy. It gives you the state attorney who took the information for the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. And, who mm-hmm. interv- and who did they interview? And so all of that is important information when you're looking for your family. Let, let me give you a point. Uh, several several black witnesses, including Lewis Allen. Now, we know that Lewis Allen was killed because he wanted to stand up for the truth. He feared for his life, and he lied to the coroner's jury and testified that Lee, a small man, threatened Hearst, which he was not, who mm-hmm. stood, Hearst stood six feet three, uh, six foot three, 63, and weighed about 200 pounds with a tie eye. On the day that Lee was slain, the coroners concluded that Hearst shot in self-defense, which was not the truth. But so you see all that very detailed information, and now you're coming up into the time and period where you can look outside of your family for photographs because it could be that any of those files can have a photograph in it. Right, because also the newspaper covered some of these uh, incidences of which they had the photographs. Uh, That's right. Because you know they what? put them on the page of the newspaper or somewhere they were they were reported. Uh, even some That's of right. the incidents were reported in foreign press. That's right. And let me tell you something else. You probably can find a lot of oral history interviews with family members or people who testified or people who gave a report. So it's not just a written report that you can find. In many cases, you can find the oral interviews of statements that was made. That's true. That's true. And you mentioned the oral report. I mean, for those people that are still alive, and they are, I mean, many of them are still alive that remembered what happened, we shouldn't forget about getting an oral history now. Exactly. To capture, to capture the memories of what those people can tell us. And they could probably tell us a lot of detail because it's just like some people, certain things that are just ingrained in your head. I mean, certain dates, certain names, certain events, smells, what have you. We need to capture that right now for the people that are in their 80s who can tell us, and in their 90s, who can tell us what it was like. That's right, we and, and when we go back to our community, that's right. We have to go out into the community and talk to other people in the community. Uh, just to think that 
I attend Herbert Lee's wife's funeral services, and then to hear from the man that was there organizing with Herbert Lee, knowing that I stood in a place where Mega Evers spoke at about a man that was that was that was assassinated for just trying to become a registered voter in 1961, and then a couple of, couple of, a couple of years later, um, um, Mega Evers was assass- assassinated too. And then to look at Marion Barry come down and organize with those students, 118 students. So you see, there's a whole story surrounding Herbert Lee. Yes. And I wouldn't be surprised if the next movie that we see is Herbert Lee, because I'm working with the family now. Um, and the family just really, they, they're sitting on so much rich information. But Herbert Lee's story got in, uh, entangled with other sto- other stories in a book. There was never a book done just on Herbert Lee. So we're working on that right now with the family. And so mm-hmm. certainly I can say that, once again, it was the Pinnish Files. Uh, and and because I can say that, Bernice, I, I, I want to say that the story, and thank you for having me on the guest to talk about the Dozer Reform Boy, uh, School Boys, uh, yes. that story will be aired on Vanity Fair Confidential Discovery Investigative Report on uh, March the 30th. And so it's, it's, it's those files like that that we're starting to look in and look at those files, look in those files and say how important this is. These are not records that we will find in anybody's book saying, okay, let's look at the Pennis Files. Okay, let's look at the Civil Rights Division. This is what we're doing on this show tonight. We're saying, look outside the box. Look outside Open the box. Up. Yeah, look outside the box. No, it's not written there, but now we're saying, okay, we have to embrace this because there was Pennage in those reform schools. Those children was held as slaves. Why? Yes. Simply because people wanted to make money. But there was kids. There was somebody that would be looking for their family member that was in those records. So whenever mm-hmm. there's any record that put a person in a place, a time, and a period, and a location, that's genealogy. You know, that is genealogy. Now, would Herbert Lee be mentioned in the 1950 census? Yes, he would. And so when the 1960s come, but once again, now he was murdered in 1961. So when you think about it, somebody could be looking for him. They didn't know 1970, whenever that census come, of course, we won't be (laughs) doing that time. But guess what? They won't see him there because he was murdered. He was murdered in 1961. So when they took the census in 1960, because he was dip, because he was a homeowner and owned land, he'd be mentioned in 1960. But look at this. He got killed the following year, 1961. That's right. That's right. So while the, the census, while it puts us at a place in time, it doesn't cover the full story. No, and it this doesn't. Is what you're telling, and this is what you're saying. Look at what's happening. Understand what this period is. What did Jim Crow mean to you, your community, your family? 
And how did your family, how did your family interact, you know, with the local government, the federal government, the state government? I mean, really look at the full story. You're telling us, tell the story, but you have to find the story. And you have to ask the question. Well, because, Bernice, we're still in Reconstruction. I hear people say after uh, uh, Reconstruction, but we're still in Reconstruction. If you're looking for your family members, well, you know what? That's Reconstruction because you're still trying to make connections to family members. You're still trying to find out what happened to their lives. You know, Jimmy, uh, not Jimmy Lee, Herbert Lee was just one of the people that was murdered because he wanted to become a registered voter. but Herbert Lee also owned his own business. Herbert Lee would not allow his children to work for anyone else. He said, look, all this land I have right here, why should they go work for anyone else? So Mm -hmm. Herbert Lee was one of those, just one of those families that one had their financial freedom, owned the Mm -hmm. land. So if somebody was looking for land records on Herbert Lee, you go right to the county courthouse and you would find him. He was a business person. So what records would they look for in the business? You, you see, because every newspaper, every article always stated that he was a self-made businessman. Okay. And so he was going to the cotton gin. Now there it is. What was he doing on that day? He was taking his cotton to the cotton gin. And that's what he was murdered at, at the cotton gin. Mm-hmm. And do you know, Bernice, I had the opportunity to go to Herbert Lee's homestead and, you know, just walk on his property and look in the barn and, you know, his children led me directly, well, his son led me directly there over the cell phone. Here I am in the woods. When I tell you I am in the woods, I'm in the woods. Mm-hmm. And so his wife remained there for 10 years after her husband was killed, and then she relocated to the New Orleans area. Mm-hmm. But I actually got an opportunity to look at some of his things that, that were still there on the family homestead when he passed away. When, well, I'm sorry, when he was murdered. And so we know that he was doing business. We know he was at the cotton gin because that's where he was killed, at, at the cotton gin. Mm-hmm. He wasn't working at the cotton gin, he was just trying to get his cotton, you know, sell his cotton trade that he was trading. That's what he was doing. And so the people who witnessed it, they saw it. They was listed as well. So if anybody is looking for their family members, once again, they can find them in the um, the book at the, the the criminal book at the local courthouse, but also the Civil Rights Division in Washington, D.C. They will find those records. That's right. Well, Antoinette, uh, we, we're going to be getting close to the end of the show, but I do want you to just tell us about your book. I know you have been on the show before talking about your book, but tell us about your book again so that others can uh, obtain a copy of your book, the Department of Justice book, and, and, and how it's laid out so they can understand the value of looking at those records. Yes, that the book, the Department of Justice Penitentiary uh, Files, is records that I scan, my colleague Walter and I scan from the National Archives, and we turn that, those files into a book so that people can really understand that 
when you start to research genealogy in a new way, you must look at those penis files. Uh, I've been saying that for the last 10 years, and I hope that with the next 10 years, I can really see that these files are being uh, uh, really looked at. And also, Bernice, they can go to www.antoinette.com, antoinetteharrell.com, and they can order a copy right there from uh, online uh, or go to Amazon and buy it. Uh, also, I want to mention this too. Leonard Smith and I, we are doing a doc, we are uh, trying to produce a documentary on uh, Penish Files and the civil, the, the, the civil, uh, the records in the civil, I'm sorry, the records in the civil division federal documents. So I really want people to go there and look at this doc, look at the trailer. We're really trying to get this film out there because Bernie says we look at what was the new movie that just came out, the series. Um, Oh my God! I don't have a television, but it's the new, almost like the new Roots. Oh, Everybody's watching Book of Negroes. Yeah, the Book of Negroes. Right now, we're mm -hmm. talking about the new, the new records we need to look at, the Penish Files, and we're mm -hmm. trying to make that be the next movie, the next film to disclose these type of records in the National Archives, in the Civil Rights Division, in the FBI files in the NWACP files, in the Attorney General files. These are the records that we need to be looking at because it's rich in information. It gives a location. It gives the person name. And you know what? Sometimes it even tells you how tall, what color eyes, if they had a gold tooth, if there was a tattoo. They took all that information, all of that information. It's very detailed, and you won't even be surprised. Well, you may be surprised that there are Social Security numbers even associated with those files as well. So mm -hmm. we ask the people to please go to GoFundMe and help us produce this film called In Slavery Now, if there's ever a such thing that we can, a such thing as that we can end slavery, Bernice. I really don't know in this lifetime because there's so many variations of slavery. But the National Archives, Yes, we have looked at let records on a local level. We have even looked at records on the state level. Now we need to look at it on a federal level outside yeah. of just looking at the census records. Right, right. And we have a, a comment coming out of the chat from Pinky Johnson, and she says she ordered the FBI records once to substantiate an old tale. And so mm -hmm. if that's it, it, if it takes doing that, then please do it. She did it, and it, hey, we need to do it. We need to see this happen. Well, yeah, and, we have to do that. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on tonight and to just share with us. I mean, you really have me kind of fired up to go and spend a couple of days at archives, too, just reading the files. I enjoy just going to the archives and reading the files. Uh, it's it's a it's a way to educate yourself as to what has been documented on people. So thank you so much, and yes, I, I'm looking forward to the film coming out. And just want to thank you so much for coming thank on you tonight. Thank for having me as a guest. All Good night. Right. Good night. So remember, night. everyone, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond.
You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and Beyond and AfroGenius.com Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday morning. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond. I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. Good night, everyone. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.